0: 69. You know, 42. You
1: know, what? you know, I only have so many fingers. You can't mess up my counting. All right. Fun. Oh, you're fired. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Miss Day Al-Muhammad, <laughs> introduce herself.
2: Woo-hoo! Hello, hello. Thank you guys for having me back again. So I am Dale Muhammad, uh, disability policy strategist, a filmmaker, and what I think is probably of most interest to you, an author of fantasy and science fiction. You may have heard me on episode 21, and I am super jazzed to be back for episode 52. And if the numbers are wrong, blame your hosts, not me, because they gave me those numbers. Thank you.
1: We're going to blame Nick. That's what I was going to say. Send a hate mail to Nick at blastersandbladespodcast.com.
0: Maybe he'll start showing up more. <laughs>
1: I, so they they we would make schedules, and then the the Homeland Security would just keep rescheduling when he was available. I'm like, dude, can you just set your schedule? Call your boss and tell him you have to be on our podcast. They'll understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that will <laughs> totally work. That's, that's how my boss works, too. Really right? You're like, I can't work today. I've got a podcast. So, all right. So you said you make movies. What kind of movies do you make? Uh,
2: actually, I, I, for most of the fiction stuff has been a little on the on the comedy side, but mo- actually most is a uh, documentary. Uh, my very first one uh, is actually on public television. And it is, uh, I love it. It's, it's just one more Civil War story that nobody wants to see because we're all Civil War'd out. Uh, but yeah, it's actually a, a Civil War story about the Invalid Corps. Um, yeah. So... Uh, you know, everybody knows the story of the Civil War, right? You know, like you know, so many thousands, uh, you know, tens of thousands killed, and other tens of thousands injured. Nobody ever asked or asked what happened to those those amputees and those soldiers with disabilities afterwards. And the fact is, they were so low on manpower in the Union, they actually created entire regiments of these guys and put them back to work.
1: Wow. Uh, and the and a the thing, a lot of prison camps were run by those people. The too old and or infirm or too young. Yes,
2: actually, uh, most of them were. And that they were the, the guys who, who guarded Lincoln's assassins Um They were his pallbearers as well. Um, and in one one very, very um, famous uh, battle, Battle of Fort Stevens, just outside of Washington, D.C., they held off um, like 20,000 uh, Confederate troops for 24 hours uh, until reinforcements could arrive. And Lincoln was on the ramparts there, that day.
1: So. Never piss off an angry old dude with a gun and nothing left to lose.
2: And that is exactly it. They had a bunch of hundred days men, like all the green guys, they put them behind the walls and they put all the, these, these guys who'd smelled the gunpowder right um, out in the pits in front of it. And basically these guys were running around fire off shots and pretending to be more of them than there actually were to, to be able to, to, um, uh, to convince Convinced, confederates that, that there were actually a lot more of them. So I, just enough.
1: That's been so. done before and it always works if you can confuse the enemy. But um, so have you watched any of the, um, what is it? Um, um, the documentary. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on what it is now. My, my, my ex calls it uh, uh Nerdflix, but. Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole like Netflix of documentaries. Oh, oh wow all right well I guess we will since my brain just went blank I'm gonna blame Seska. she spiked my water and uh, we will move on that, that's I, I, work.
0: I, I with dihydrogen monoxide
1: that's right it's deadly I heard that on the news it will kill you yeah, um,
0: I, I don't need these
2: artificial chemicals and things in my body anymore right?
1: it's it. But uh, so the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found them. So mine is easy. Uh, I Doc last time said, I will break your arm if you don't get her on the show. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And we had her on the show, episode 21. But Doc, how did you meet uh, Miss Muhammad?
0: I met her through her publisher, uh, John Hartness at Falstaff Publishing. And I was at Mysticon, a con in Virginia. And they said, and he looks at me and I'm like, hey how's everything going? And we're talking and he goes, Hey, I have an author. You should panel at dragon con. And I went, I'm sure you have more than one. And he goes, yes, but I have one specifically. I want you to meet her. And I went, okay, because John has a good eye for talent and he has a good eye for recognizing talent that doesn't always fit the mold of the big publishers, which is great because to be honest, the big publishers are great. And I have no problem with like Tor or anybody, but sometimes they all kind of blended, and so he's really good at finding some great unique voices. And Day was definitely one of those. So she and I started talking, and I decided I really just adore Day, and we need to have her.
2: I think we got so, in trouble. We just I, started. He's like, "Why don't you guys just talk over there?"
0: Yeah, and no, he did kick later, us out. We were still talking. Yeah, that he did kick problem. us out of the hallway. Yeah, he's like, okay, uh, apparently I I made a mistake, and you don't need to meet, and go over there.
1: How rude. We will have to have words with him, but it's uh, uh, (laughs) CuriosityStream.com is the service. While you were talking, I was Googling. Um, I have it programmed, so I don't have to think about it. I just hit the little icon. It's awesome. It is full of uh, nothing but documentaries.
0: I'm going to
1: have to look. It's (laughs) tough. And astronomy and science, but nobody watches the science, I'm sure.
0: JR, you should probably try some of the science. You know, maybe you'd learn how to count.
1: I mean, I can count to 10. If you I count I like
0: Westmoreland, with... which is not a good sign.
1: I mean, if I take my shoes off, I can count to 20. That's like 10 <sighs> twice. I'm good. I'm All right, Doc. We've got to ask her the religion question. And we changed this one up since last time. So, so let's see if you're on your toes.
0: Okay. Warehouse 13, Short Circuit or Stargate? Hmm.
2: Warehouse 13 by a long mile. I adored the show, and and the next closest thing after it, which I bought immediately, was The Librarians. So, was oh, so awesome. much fun. Right? It's that same style. It has that same irreverence, um, and clearly the folks doing it were really enjoying what they do, and that just came across to all of us watching it as well. Have you
0: seen the new um, show on HBO? The um oh, Kiss! I can't remember it. HBO Max has a new show, and one of the producers was on Warehouse. One was one of the main producers for Warehouse 13. It's the women. It's in a bit. It's like a period the Nevers. The Nevers. Thank you. Yes. Yes, I have. So <laughs> it's it's, um, it's Joss Whedon's uh, executive producing, right? He's he 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 stepped away, but one of the other producers was also on. I think Buffy and Angel, but also one of the lead producers for Warehouse 13.
2: Excellent. Well, that explains some of the lovely little technology bits and other things in there. But oh. yes, watching it, loving it. Yes.
1: See, Can this you- is why number five is no longer alive because you picked the wrong thing. i sorry.
0: Have. You know what? Have you seen it,
1: Short Circuit at least? Have you seen it? Yes. No. Okay, well, you at least get to stay. Doc, you're fired.
0: I have, but here's
1: the thing
2: people listening may not have because holy crap, that's an old film. I'm like digging through childhood memories to try and come up with that. Although it's hard to forget number five is alive.
1: You know, that's right. And that was the uh, adorable robot.
0: That rhymes. My speech therapist would be so proud for recognizing that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, since we are polytheistic, Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings, or Darkover. Mm. Nice try. Jr. tried to get me to list Pern as it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. See, my thing, my answer would be like Pern in a heartbeat. I'm so sorry. It's not fantasy. It is not. It it definitely rolls over into science fiction.
0: She's a master of using those tropes though from from a fantasy in a sci-fi setting.
1: Yeah. So what is Darkover?
0: It's by Elizabeth Moon. Okay. And it is a space fantasy. It has telepaths and magic and it's a lost colony. Yeah, it is
2: hard. I, I'll be honest, of the I'm like, none of the three really hold me as much. And I'm
0: like, yeah, you had to take Pern out, but otherwise I'd be like, Pern, Pern. <laughs> well, that's because Pern always wins. Yes. So what would be your go-to fantasy series?
2: Mm. I was gonna say that kind of has been mine. And I'm and even though it isn't. Um Forgotten Realms. Actually, I did really, really like those. (laughs) She says that she's regretful. uh, Don't go back and reread them. Do not go back and reread your childhood favorites because they don't. They don't hold up as well. You look at some of the stuff that folks are writing
0: now, it's much more layered and much more complex. I really like The Deed of That has aged very well by Elizabeth Moon. Well, it's Elizabeth Moon. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. There's a reason she's a grandmaster. So, but, so. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I had
2: quite a collection of those. Um, uh, I had. Um, or was it magician was it magician's okay. first book Silverthorn, and then darkness yeah, by um neil gaiman no no that's not gaiman it's it's another guy oh, see, i'm gonna see it i'm gonna look it up who's faster with the internet because it was darkness at sethenon was the third book sorry for the clicking folks raymond d feist
0: Ah, so. unfortunately, the word magician is not an uncommon title. It is <laughs> not. It, 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 it was
2: two books that put away because it, it was a magician apprentice and magician master. But I actually read them like a later edition. And I had them smooshed together. So, ah,
0: that explains it. So we here at the Blasters and Blade podcast, we love our sci-fi and fantasy, but which one did you think you fell in love with first?
2: Mm, depends on where you catch me. Um, so uh, the, I think my absolute first when I was like too little to remember was um, All Summer in a Day, which is Ray Bradbury. And mm-hmm. I didn't know it was science fiction at the time. I just remember as a kid being devastated about the little girl locked in the closet and missing out on the one day of sunlight. Um, and oh. I, I, I don't even remember the full story, but it was just I, I remember enough of it that it stayed with me. All there these are some years. stories
0: like, that stay with you
2: forever, and, and, and I looked at the date. I'm like, I had to be in like single digits when I was watching it for when that it came out, and it was just a little short, short thing. Um, but the first book that I actually um, got that was that was my entree into 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 this entire genre was *The White Dragon*. I so love it was that. the first thing, um, and I was like, "What is this? What is this?" Oh my God! This is the most amazing thing I've ever read in my entire life. And from that point on, um, uh, you know, fantasy, and then from that science and, and science fiction were like the the thing that I wanted to read.
0: Yes, I think uh, Ruth would definitely be a fan favorite of everybody. And if you don't love Ruth, well, you need to go back and reread Byrne. Right, um, and it, and it's a great like
2: single book that was a good place to start,
0: and it was complete accident. And it's it's very. Um, YA friendly. Too. Yeah. So what, and those would bring probably your first memories engaging with speculative fiction or was it like something else? No, those are
2: the very, like I, I could you not single digits that, you know, for that person where I remember what a, what a big deal that that was for me. So um, it kind of moved me and then kind of expanded from there um, and, and started reading other folks and more people. Um, I went through my dystopia phase that everybody goes through. So, um, so we have a lot of Orwell in there and we, and we have to have, um, oh, so I was losing my, um, um, uh, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit 451. Right. Because I was going to say Fahrenheit 911, and
0: that is not correct. No, it's the temperature <laughs> which paper burns. Exactly. Um, it, to the Remember why <laughs> it's called that.
2: Um, but um, going through all of those, uh, but it was, yeah. And it was from there, I just kept
0: going and I wanted more of it.
2: Um, so, so yeah.
0: Um, what is it that you love and draws you in and keeps you there with the genre?
2: I like the element of the fantastical. I think that's part of what makes it work for me. The idea of like, this is something that is so different from the way that we work and live and think and at the same time it's not. Um, The human element is is still there. Right, Uh, and and yet instead we get to explore these entire worlds um, and and the way people interact with them, right? Uh, And so there are things we can learn about our own Worlds and times and stuff. Now that we probably wouldn't be as willing to to pay attention to in this world, but we'll notice them so much better in
0: these others. In I others. So. I have a friend who once made <laughs> an, an advice about something I was trying to write, and she looked at me and she goes, "You need to change this because you're making pe- you're making the people on Earth the villain, and people on Earth are who are re- are reading it, and people don't want to read something where they're the villain." And she was right, and it and it's so because I mean, how many times when you talk to somebody, and if you make them see themselves as the villain, and you point out what, it just doesn't work very well. It, you automatically make them defensive. Whereas with speculative fiction, it gives a a, a level of detachment mm-hmm. that is that just makes
2: it able to talk about it. Right. Um, I think there's so much more. I uh, science fiction to me is like has always been political right from its very roots the stories that are told are are not just stories they're 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 reflections on the world we live well, in and inequities it, it's and
0: speculative it's, fiction has always been much more about um the minority voices of women uh the hugos was Hugo's isaac asimov was a jew who fled at uh, germany hugo was as well so there's been much more um, of the less mainstream voices being welcomed into it, I think from the beginning even.
2: Right, uh, I absolutely. And the things that are explored and discussed, and then it talks about the other parts that we, um, we let, let's go back to Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of like, people talk about the technology to bring forward life, but that book is more about the moralities and the complications that come from creating life, and what does that mean in, in our relationships to each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, and granted, it also is just an awesome, kind of scary, freaky book, anyway. Um, it is. Uh,
1: they asked the. Uh, oh, go ahead. As mm-hmm. I, I say, Frankenstein asked the same question Michael Crichton did. Just because you can do something, they well, never stop to think about whether they should.
2: Oh, that is an that is an excellent parallel. Holy crap! Yeah. So now I'm sitting there going, oh, you just made me rethink Jurassic Park in a
1: whole new way. So like, it's on the line because they Netflix has Camp Cretaceous, which uh, I just realized when I got to season two, I was watching it with my kids, that it takes place on the at the same time frame as Jurassic World, the movie. So they start to once scene in the movie leaves the kids that are abandoned at this this camp, end up exploring places. And I started watching it, and I'm like, oh. Of course, obviously, it's a kid, you know, young kid movie, so it doesn't show the, the gore. But it's on Netflix. It's pretty good if, you, if you've got kids and you want to watch dinosaur stuff with them. But but that had me thinking about Michael Crichton lately. I'm like, man, I'm going to reread those books.
2: Yeah, because so. I'm, I'm having a moment going, like, holy crap, I never saw the parallel with Frankenstein. But it is. It's the monster that got away from you. And, and in many ways, it's wrecking vengeance on your world.
1: Well, that's yep. what everything Dr. Wong was doing with the hybrid species, and <laughs> this might be way in the weeds of nerd dump, but like, like you said, it's fresh in my mind. But that does—it's—it's it's a very Frankenstein thing, where you know you're creating the super monster when really the monster is us. That's always the message.
0: And they're that's not far the off for that. I think humanity has definitely grown as a, um, or just overall psyche has grown and uh, become a better. Human being in general, if you thought of it from that perspective, but yeah. yeah. I, um, if you yeah. like what was kids appropriate in the 1800s versus now,
1: it's
2: like, no, no wonder <laughs> you people were so scarred. Yeah. Oh, well, I that, think, oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. I was going
1: to say, yeah, that and the plague would scar you, you know, as you do. Yeah. But, Details. But uh, so how did your love of speculative fiction and all things nerdy transition into you writing? Novels and, and short content in that space.
2: Um, I think the thing is that you you end up loving it and, and, and all the things about it, um, and you end up wanting more. and 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 part of it is I wanted more that reflected me and my life and my lifestyle and 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 my, the the way I operate. So as as a as a as a blind queer woman of color, I'm like, yeah, we're not really seeing that. Um, certainly not nothing really set in the Middle East uh, at all. So I wanted to have more stories that covered those kinds of things. I'm like, we have fantastical elements in our history and our stories. And and I think it would be great to have more fantasy that's actually based on non-Western settings um, because I think there's a lot to offer there. Also, it also falls feels like, man, I think I could tell a really awesome, fun story that people would get a kick out of. Um, and so, so I, think that, I
1: know- I've seen that you do that with the the Middle East. I've seen Davis Ashura, we interviewed, does that with his Indian heritage. There was an author that I watched on the Keystroke Medium, which is a, you know, we're sort of friends of the show. It's more based towards authors helping authors kind of thing, whereas we try to focus more on the readers at the other end of the content spectrum. But they interviewed a lady, um, I think, who did a Japanese-inspired fantasy, but she, I looked that book up later and she never finished the series, which always stinks. Because I can't stand a series that isn't finished because you kind of want to know how it ends. Um, so I never I never picked it up. But I do like it when you start exploring outside of the way it's always been done, mostly because it keeps you fresh, creatively speaking. Right. Like if everything's the same old hero's journey set in Proto-England, like how like, OK, I, I can see where it's going to I go get bored
0: with Proto-England. But then again, I'm not that fond of English food.
1: Mm, well you don't some yeah. crackers and
2: biscuits and hot tea. Wait, wait, you know what the new Indian food is, right? It, it, it's British food is it's Indian food. So let's be okay,
0: honest. I was gonna I was just gonna say there are three countries in the world okay, four where I could be stuck forever of without leaving their culinary experience. India, French, because I love me some cheese and wine. Anybody who's listened to the show knows this. Uh Arab food and Caribbean food
1: i mean you can't go wrong with chicken, chicken, chicken I, I do, do.
0: I, my mom jokingly after we came to the states because i grew up in the middle east till i was eight would call me her arab child because uh, if she had arab food i was happy all my favorite food was arab food or seafood
1: so. i started trying um indian food when i was in grad school because the apartment that i stayed in while i was going to grad school was the married apartment and it just happened to be everyone that was on my floor were uh, international students, and they all were from India. So they would do these like floor-wide like um, get-togethers with all their spouses, and so we were invited, and we got to try some cool food. I've never had lamb before that day. It was it was an interesting experience. Oh, my God. But see, my you got to thinking about food, and I haven't eaten dinner yet. That's just mean, Doc. But uh, let's let's get back to talking about books, and we're gonna make the people drool. We got some letters every time we get too far afield on food because people are like you're making me hungry. Um, so many authors let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So, are there any formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller?
2: Mm. Every time someone says that, I'm like, oh, I never can't think of anything until five minutes after the podcast is ended. So,
1: so five minutes oh.
2: after, you guys, that's when it, that's when it's gonna hit me. So, um, honestly, I think, um, I'll, I'll be honest. I think one of my, my favorite thing, and this is more, it's one of my favorite things to do as we wanna talk about pivotal moments, which is um, I read an an annotated copy of Dracula. that had little notes about different things, uh, like where the locations were, what it meant, and uh, how it related to things at that time. And I loved it. Um, There was also, and I'm going a blank name, somebody who had done something, someone put footnotes in their fantasy novel or end notes actually. and I love the references to things. It, it gave a feeling that there's so much more bigger world out there that, that they created that we just don't see. Um, and so that, that was one of my, my big, oh, wow, this is super cool. And so, um, so both the labyrinth archivist and Baba Ali, I started doing what I called book secrets and I'd actually create little blog posts that would be basically my, my version of footnotes. Like, all right, why do we call them aerostats instead of airships? And I went through the history of the terminology, uh, you know, aerostats and airships and zeppelins, and like why, what those terms meant at different times, and why I picked this one. Um, And um, for the Labyrinth Archivist, things like the that the 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 plague that takes place there, what's it based off of, and then where other places we have seen that plague show up in fiction because it's pretty popular. Because hello, the zombie ant fungus is something that everybody has heard about at some point within. Uh, in any bit of sciency nerddom, because it's that cool, <laughs> and so um, I, I started doing those kinds of things. So it was my way of adding footnotes. Um, if somebody is 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 clever reading the book, they'll they'll know the, the the point that I'm the the reference that I might make. But this gives them a place to go. I was right. I know what you were doing there. And for other folks, it becomes this nice, um, you know, extra. Of what's in there. So, like, there's, there are a couple of names and titles within the Labyrinths Archivist that reference, um, actually, reference other literature.
1: So, when I was actually writing my first series, because, you know, I, every new author writes their blog for other authors. I don't know why we do that. But so I was writing, like, yeah, I called it Marine Monday, and I'd write those posts about various stuff I was doing.
0: You weren't a Marine. We
1: up,
0: Did you get no, really that no, badly damaged in the head?
1: No, because I was writing Space Marines. Duh. Oh I'm so, sorry.
0: Yeah, I had the same confusion.
1: But I so didn't we, say we took
2: it, But I had the same confusion.
1: <laughs> we took all those posts off. I, I <laughs> unpublished them from my website. And now that we're the series is complete and we're doing the box set, all of those are going to go in there as bonus content. That's something for you to think about when you finish your, your universe series. You can can unpublish those and then you know that's where they can get them in the like I don't know inner space between books and stuff. I like it. it's kind of a cool it's a cool idea and I, I like you know sort of explaining that kind of stuff um, some of the behind the scenes because you know world buildings like an onion it's got layers and sometimes they don't see all those layers but it's it's kind of cool sometimes to show them parts of it yeah. um, so and, and the other cool thing is you'll do is I've seen some people well they'll write like their friend's book as, oh, they were reading this book they found in an archive. I'm like, oh, I've actually read that book. I know who they're talking about. Those those kind of Easter eggs are always awesome, so. Uh, Speaking of Marines in the military, you were actually uh, in the military yourself. Uh, So you serve in the U.S. Coast Guard. So we ask all veterans, or excuse me, all authors who are also veterans this question, but how do you think your time serving in the Coast Guard auxiliary affects the stories you tell? Ah, This is where I'm
2: like, nope. Do not take. Will not take that credit or title. I actually serve with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, so it's a uniform volunteer service. So, um, did I, I said auxiliary? Did you? All right, awesome. It's one of those things. I I I, I try to make as a firm line, if, sort of a thing. But yes, I I love my time with that. I love the guys and women that that I um, I, I spend spend time with. I'm actually super jazzed that um, when I when I started here in the with the silver spring group our flotilla commander was a woman so um uh, which was which was super awesome um how do i i put it i have put it in actually a couple of short stories that i have have written um i have very very strong feelings about the coast guard not getting it it's it's due credit
0: uh, you know a couple <laughs> years ago i did a lot of reading into more of what the Coast guard does because uh, being we make fun of the Coast Guard, but mostly I've determined it's because it's like making fun of your sibling that went to the good foster home is what I put it as. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you, what the Coast Guard does some amazing shit that they don't really get credit. I would not want to ride a boat into the middle of a hurricane. Uh, no. Just no. But the Coast Guard will do it. No, not my thing. So, Tons of respect learned uh, and, and and I learned a lot because I'm one of those people where okay, well, let me go learn. I still make fun of them a little bit, but it's more like <laughs> making fun of the sibling who got the good foster home. There we go. Yeah, <clears throat>
2: so, so we
1: actually, when I was deployed to Iraq, we actually worked some with the coasties, although this is going to be stereotypical, but they were the pool guard at the uh. Um, <laughs> They were literally <laughs> deployed as the uh, lifeguard at the uh, Air yeah. of John. So I mean, yeah, you know, hey, they got that combat pay, so I can't, I can't knock it. But uh, I actually one of the as stories I said, I sold,
0: they got the good foster. Home.
1: Right, one of the stories that I sold to uh, to an easying that's coming out that I've mentioned in my newsletter. It'll be coming out. It's actually a story about space coasties. So and I had to do some deep dive into some of the historic and iconic. Um, um, Coast Guard ships that, you know, because so, just like the Navy has ships that are had storied names, there's a reason that Enterprise is the name of the ship in Star Trek. It was a iconic American naval vessel. There are equally iconic Coast Guard vessels that, now that I say that, I can't think of any offhand, but they they were there when I did the research. Yeah, I was so, going to say, wait, wait, so what was, yeah, which one did you pick? I, I want to say I picked the Dauntless, but I could be making that up because it's been about a year since I wrote that story. I ended up finally selling it. But um,
0: authors don't make shit up at all.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. so so my, my,
2: sorry, one of my, my favorite stories is actually about the lifeguard station uh, at Cape Hatteras. Um, and um, and one of the things is I, I fictionalized it. I, 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 and I and granted it was it's more historical steampunky style. Um, and it was the first all African-American lighthouse um and and uh, and the, actually the first one burned down because the moment they put a black man in charge they're like yeah we don't like this burned it down rebuilt it um and one of the the most amazing things was the, one of the most famous rescues um of the a.e newman um and i had i love it. i had to fictionalize part of the story because in the, in the real one they could not get uh get lined out to the ship the waters were so bad they couldn't they couldn't get a boat out so one of their guys swam out there and brought people back one by one, he swam out to that boat eight times, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" You know, and this, you know, this is on that 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 part off the coast of the Carolinas where you know, ships just sank. Yeah. Um, and it was it was amazing to um, to just read about it. And um, there's a quote from the captain's wife about how she says she lashed her hand, herself and her small son um, to the mast, um, and then in the in the pouring rain, it, um, as she as she prayed. God sent her salvation in the shape of a black man,
1: and I was like, oh. "That's that's powerful." So the ship was the Dauntless, which is a cutter, and it was yes. commissioned in sixty-eight. I just pulled up the Wikipedia, uh, and it was famous as one of the prototype drug busting um, vessels. So I was right to remember the name.
2: Nice, and you did. You didn't oh. know the, the submarines are now a, a big part, actually, with the with the Coast Guard as well. Because I know one yeah, of the our I'm like, are the new- yes. Um, and I'm like, I find that fascinating. I'm like, I want to know uh, more about that, but I, I have to admit I've, I, i i am a lot more of a, I, I'm more of a comms person. I, 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 do public affairs. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm the one who, who, who talk to folks. Um, I'll, I'll do the, 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 the stuff with the, with the facing, facing public, uh, the public facing issues and things like that. So that, that's, that tends to be more what I do. So the, oh, wow. A- it helps.
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago, maybe, um, when the Coast Guard had that iconic where the guy jumped off the uh, the boat and onto the semi-submersible and was pounding yeah. on the hatch. And I remember because the, co- the, the Air Force always says, well, we've always got the Coast Guard to make fun of. And I, I remember I was talking to, to Mike Massa about that when that came up. And I'm like, it could be worse. You could be in the Air Force the day the Coast Guard made you look like wimps. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was definitely a, a funny thing when you see them jumping on the sub. And I, I remember my stepdad was like, it's not a submarine, it's semi-submersible, it can't go all the way under. Like, nobody cares, dad, nobody cares. No one no cares, we're all going. Like... can't tell the difference. Close enough. So, close enough, that's right, close enough for government work. Um, but uh, do you ever draw on people you served with in the military, either from the active component that you work with or the auxiliary? <laughs>
2: Um, no, no one living is is represented in any of the of the literature that I write. That's legal that's disclaimer. Not I not this very face. <laughs> uh, yeah, She's, I, winking. I, uh,
1: She's winking. She's <laughs> winking If you're listening to this online uh, on the uh, podcast, uh, <laughs> yeah, right.
2: that, that is the official statement. Un- unofficially, they these are just some amazing folks, and yeah, I can't not.
1: So, but inspired yeah. by an homage to there we go. There we go. Okay, so we've talked about a little bit how your time in the in the Coast Guard, working as an auxiliary man, auxiliary person—I don't know—has um, affected <laughs> like I, this auxiliarist. There we go. Uh, has affected the stories you tell, but does it affect how you read stories, specifically nautical stories? A little bit, a little bit. Um, I uh, I'm I'm a lot more critical of um,
2: because most of the stuff I do is not. I'm like on the boats. I'm more about the communications, particularly emergency communications is, is things I've looked at more. Um, so I'm more the, we've had this massive disaster and then looking at how it's handled and then being, and then be, me being a complete jerk about how that, that's not the way it works. That is not the way it works. So, um, so like that, you. I, <laughs> I tend exactly. to be more about that, I think.
1: Okay. So, so have you reread master and commander or watched the movie since you, since you served and like, like, no, no, no. Yeah, I have not because I already know what my feelings
2: were about it previously. I'm not sure they will be much better later.
1: So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's fair. So if we ever do a review show, are you wanting to come on that episode?
2: (laughs) Oh, if you want spicy, I will bring it.
1: I will bring it. <laughs> all right, all right, Doc. Well, saving us from the spicy before we lose our fr- family-friendly rating, Doc, oh. the question is yours.
0: Trans- uh, we're going to talk more about things from a fan angle. Has anyone asked you for your autograph in public away from a convention or a book signing?
2: Not for writing, no. I once had somebody ask me for my autograph uh, because I fence. Um, oh, so- that's awesome so uh i i have i fenced for many years and, and it's kind of weird doing it as a, as a blind person because there is no such thing as blind fencing so i just fence with everybody else um but for for many years and actually I still
0: uh, but you did the strip fencing like that you see in the yes. olympics yeah
2: yeah also okay. foil you know foil fa saber and um and i did all three right now though i'm just a foilist um and um actually i'm i am not pro- going to make it's, I'm not going to go to the Nationals this year, but the last time I attended was 2019, uh, and I came in number six. Nice! So, I so think I've, I've,
0: good. I'm super dorky and, and excited because I did fencing in the SCA, which is all Schlager fencing. Yes! And I, But I absolutely love it. It's so much fun, even if you do end up potmarked marked with bruises. <laughs> I, I will say, I,
2: I did meet when I, when, I, when I was young and foolish, which maybe was not as long ago as I like to pre- pretend it is, I did meet up with somebody who fenced your style and we had a lovely spirited discussion um, that I'll be honest, ended in a topless duel.
0: Oh my gosh, you talk about times I wish I was there.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have actually dueled and it was it was stupid. So don't it try normally
0: that. Out. Is. Pardon? It normally is.
2: Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Oh God! Thank God my mom's not into podcasts, so she does not need to know about. <laughs> okay. So you've been. Asking- be honest, I'm like, we up, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I am grateful. Nothing serious happened, but yes, we did actually poke a few holes. There was some blood drawn. Um. And yeah. Somebody might roll down a hill backwards. When they lost,
0: not me. Nice. So you got asked because of your amazing fencing prowess for your your signature. Oh, yeah,
2: for, for my autograph. It was at a, a it was at a local tournament. So and it was she was like eight. It was adorable.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful because you got to inspire women. Wi- women need to be inspired to become badasses. There we go. Yeah, and we As need examples. Beautiful. So and I am not surprised you were an example of one. So, has anyone, have you ever spotted um, someone reading your books in the wild? JR, why do you make me ask the blind person this? I was going to say, that doesn't sound like a really good question for a blind person. Why are you making me (laughs) ask the blind person
2: (laughs) (laughs) that?
1: She's got superpowers. You don't know. Maybe she sees you in infrared. Have you seen what the government's doing experimenting on people? I'm just saying. Dude, I need my hair. Maybe she talks to goats. Maybe she talks to goats.
0: I swear to goodness. I love you. Okay, so what is the weirdest, funniest fan interaction story you've had since you've started writing? I don't think I've really had any yet.
2: So for those of you who are listening, if any of you are fans, and you see me somewhere, will you please come up so I can have a weird fan interaction? Because I feel like a little bit left out right now. (laughs) Just saying.
0: You're going to Dragon Con in the fall. I'm sure we can arrange for this to there happen. We
2: go. I, I, I'm going to blame the guide dog. I'm assuming it intimidates people or it's the other end and people feel, oh, isn't she a sweet little blind person? So those of you now, you guys know better. So by all means, let's, let's have that interaction. I'm just glad <laughs> that it's not because
0: of me. <laughs> because Harness goes, oh, she's from Bahrain. and I went, I used to go there as a kid. and He's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Admittedly, I was intoxicated at a convention, so I was a little bit more enthused by this, but than I would have been normally. So here we go. So and I'm like, yeah, no, I grew up over there too. And you're like, John, what did you get me into?
1: I feel <laughs> okay. like a lot of our stories start with you were a little bit intoxicated, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe it's time for an intervention.
0: Nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> 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 okay. So this is where you're going to tell us about everything you've written, Day. Can you give us the Reader's Digests of your body of work? Oh, grapes. See, this is where I'm
2: like, I should have a list handy. We do so. send you the questions in advance. I know, and you ca- caught me on the on the night that I just didn't have my act together. So, it's Friendly okay.
0: J. And I- I- will do that to me every day.
2: <laughs> so.
0: But I will do my best um, to pull They'll that They'll be out. like, hey, hey, what happens in a nitrogen-rich oxy- oxy- a- atmosphere? What do you mean, JR? And I'm like, he's like, just tell me. And I'm like, so I am. I'm making some right now. <laughs> like, no, you I'm
2: die. Sorry. There you go. But plants might do pretty well.
0: Depending, though, if you if you grew up in a nat- nitrogen-rich atmosphere, more so than our, our planet, you'd probably be a vegetarian because yeah. too much nitrogen in your diet can cause other medical issues. Right. And, and, issues and one of the main sources of nitrogen in your diet is meat.
1: Okay. We got all scientific. <laughs> Let's drop some science.
2: There we go. All right. So let me let me, right let me there, list like... my. my oh, so I can list my 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 collection <laughs> of stuff now. So I love it. I have a list in front of me, so I I can sound all knowledgeable. So um so we have the the two novels. The first one is Baba Ali and the Clockwork Gin, uh, co-written with Danielle Ackley McPhail. The other is the novella, The Labyrinth Archivist, uh, from Falstaff Press. See, this time I remembered the name of the publisher right off the bat. <laughs> so John will not hunt me down. <laughs> Um, which is kind of like murder mystery set in a, in a fantasy setting. You can't hurt um, you, it's picking on the disabled. Pardon? See, he can't hurt you, it's picking on the disabled. Oh, that's true. I need to use that as much as I can for everything. Um, so earlier we were talking about, um, about Frankenstein. And so there was an anthology to celebrate the 200 years. And so that is We Shall Be Monsters that actually came out of Canada. Uh, which is an awesome collection of, of, of some of its retellings and some of its just different imaginings of Frankenstein. And I'll be honest, there's one story in there that's a mashup of the idea of Frankenstein and Pinocchio. And once you think about that idea of putting those together, you, you, you can't really get away from it. And it's like it's just amazing. Um, I know coming out soon is actually at, or coming out in a print version is a collection of diesel funk. And so these are more sort of a pulpy stories um, uh, with all characters of color. And I, I love this one, I had a lot of fun because I, I based it on like mob busting in the 1920s and 30s. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And then the, I have a bunch of other short stories and stuff. The other one I'm going to mention is um, the anthology series um, and I um, the the, What was it? The phases of Mars. And I actually have a story in book one, those in peril, which is more the one that's the the nautical one out of the series of books. So it's like, um, you know, so. on. was Earth, air and water. And so that one I actually talked about. um, The woman who invented um, underwater underwater flares. So it was. So I think that is probably the short collection there are a whole lot of other short stories out there you can also find a lot of my stuff currently i've got essays and things since more recently i've been doing a lot more television related stuff with pbs so so a little more history a little less fantasy and science fiction um so with the with the um a series of essays on amazing disabled people and some obnoxious stories in there um yeah, you, you know it has to be tamed down when when PBS tells you we can't use the word badass. And I'm like, "Oh, Aw, man." You're not. Um, and hopefully we'll have I'll have something else that I can't talk about from them yet that c- will come out July 26th. So
0: Okay, well, so when it so- comes out, you'll share it in our Facebook group, right? I will share it in your Facebook group. Because that would be amazing so that so they can then find out what it is. So, yes. but today we're here to talk about the Labyrinth Archivist from Oltaf yes. Publishing and you. So, what was the premise of this universe? Was yeah. it Can I say a this is more- board, too much uh, good baklava? Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah, I will say, like I said, this is one of my favorites because it's it's a, a part of a world I've always wanted to write. So, this actually is fantasy that's set in, in the Middle East. And it probably most replicate. And granted, it's it's technically a different world um, because the whole series is predicated on on a labyrinth that leads to a variety of different worlds. And so this is one that is 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 based loosely on um, Egyptian uh, Egyptian culture, but I, I say loosely on that because I want to say it's probably a little more Egyptian Mediterranean uh and what's hinted at within the book and and this it's on the back is the idea of the great archive and the idea is if there's a world where people are traveling these labyrinths to different worlds and places right what would be one of the most valuable things would be information of how to travel those ways safely and information about these other cultures and places you're going to so you don't like offend somebody and get yourself and your team killed. knowledge is power knowledge is power uh, and so the great archive is actually modeled off the ideas of of the Great Library of Alexandria. And so the story takes place in this library, um, and the characters are these archivists
0: who are collecting this information. And it is available in audiobook. So I know because I bought the audiobook today. Yay! Because I was like, wait, ah, and they were like, your book, your your wish list is on sale, so I went and bought it. Yay! I am so glad. Thank you,
1: thank you for your, for your purchase. It is
2: most very much
1: appreciated. <laughs> so there we go. Before we dig into the um, to the book itself, let's take a moment and we're going to look at the cover. It's on the screen for you, dear listener. If you're if you're listening and not watching, uh, it has a very sort of new age vibe to the modern art style to the picture. Uh, it's a silhouetted face with uh, with symbology written into the into the shadow. So, what's the story of this uh, this cover?
2: Oh, actually, I'll be honest. That is all the artist. So, uh, it it I it is fantastic. Uh, I had sent. Um, I I love the fact that the sent note like, hey, here's some things. Let us know what kinds of things you're interested in the cover. Uh, uh, you know, some colors, some styles, some structures. And so I was like, I I want obviously. Because it's a murder mystery set in this in that space and time, I thought, huh? Well, I was thinking Nancy Drew-ish, you know, Nancy Drew style sort of thing. It's it's, it's a light mystery in a fantasy setting. That's it. Other than that, it's um, it it very. I thought that would be great. Um, but because of the, the setting, let me let me send here's some styles of clothing that were were used in in Egypt in the Mediterranean. Here's the kinds of colors. Um, you know, here's a a a piece of art. That looks like one of the characters. Um, here's old um, drawings done of what it would have been, and then here's a cover of a Nancy Drew that that I think would be actually pretty awesome, um, you know, to <laughs> give it a style. And then, but, and so the, the closest thing was like you've got the face of a person on the cover. Um, now, one of the, the things that I put into my book Secrets, which I'm gonna actually go ahead and let me see if I have that link, which I love it, which is uh, it's the, the cover that never was. So being a blind person, I just, you know, you're just going to send up a note that says Nancy Drew um, and then covers. And then so I'm like, here's this. What I missed was this is one of those times where somebody spoofed the Nancy Drew cover. And it has a, a not safe for work title. So, which I love. And, and it's um, Nancy Drew Mystery Stories, The Secret of the Missing. Beep.
1: All right. So since we don't want to lose the rating, I will link the the blog article on her website that has that cover. And if you're if you're curious, check the show notes, and the link will be there for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, but <I do laughs> you guess what that missing word would would be? Frank's um, the missing Frank's. Oh, I like that. The secret of the missing Frank's. Um, and uh, and and of course, this is before I knew anybody. So I'm like, I had a lovely meltdown at going. Like, what did I just send my publisher
0: saying? This is what I want on the cover of my book. Um, I l- I love the cover of the book. It's a very I silhouette, and um and it's she's so beautiful. The face is, is so beautifully
2: done, and the colors. It is perfect, and all credit goes to the artist. So, so, so I'm, I'm gonna put that there. It's like artist and publisher. I love you guys. You made that. I sent you, here's all the stuff I like, and you guys went, we have this idea. And I'm like, yes, it's even better. I love every bit of it, so.
1: oh, will So let's move on to the book itself. What would the 30 second elevator pitch be for this novel?
2: Oof. Did I already get to that? Oh, man. Oh, so man. No, okay. Um, so, um, Azalea lives um, in the, the Shining City, which is at the nexus of all these labyrinthine gates that lead to multiple worlds. Um, she is a student working at the Great Archive, and one of the most valuable things in this world is information. The idea of how do you travel the labyrinth? How do you get to these different worlds, and what information do you need to know to survive in them? And her family has done this for years. In fact, you know, she's, um, you know, the granddaughter who was one of the, the great matriarchs. But her family has basically said, you are probably not going to be an archivist. I'm like, why? Because she's actually blind. So how do you take down people's stories? How do you write it down? How do you manage um, all, these archi- uh, all these archival material? Um, I'm horrible. And- I just like, you just do it carefully. <laughs> and so there are ways around it. And so she has spent this time um, battling it and she's, she's good. She's good with languages. She's good with people. She's got a, a good mind for detail. Um, but so they're at the archive and now somebody is starting to kill archivists off one by one and they're using strange weapons and poisons from from worlds that nobody's been to in decades. Uh, and so uh, she has to figure out who's killing them before they decide that, that she's somebody they should go after. And that's okay. pretty much
0: so, it's so,
1: a thriller. It's a fantasy thriller.
0: So, probably closer so, to
2: fantasy cozy mystery. So, okay. so,
1: so, what do you think makes your book special?
2: Uh <laughs> I I would actually say I I really think the 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 characters are such a big part of this. Um so mm-hmm. Azalea and and part of what she, you know, trying to figure out where she wants to be in this world and who and what she wants to be. She's been so convinced she wants to be an archivist and this is maybe something that's making her reconsider it. Uh, she has her girlfriend who happens to be the captain of the guard and the fact that they have this <clears throat> on again, off again, on again, off again, um, sort of a relationship. And then the political connections that are a part of that because the guard is, is part of the city who probably aren't as happy with so much of the, um, the independence of the archive, because, right, this is our world. The archive is in our world, so we should have control over it. They don't need to be independent. So there's some a little bit of that push and pull, but mostly the book is just to introduce the characters and give us a feel for the world. Um, I know one of the next things I want to do is to take these characters and go, all right, you've got a feel for the characters. Now let's go out and explore the worlds.
1: That could be fun. Sort of like a Stargate in a fantasy world
2: almost. Yeah, actually. That actually is a really good uh, good comparison. Rather than military exploration, think of it more as caravans, right? Because uh, I think part of the style is I wanted to, to base it on, like, the, the caravans across the deserts to the spices. But
1: I think Stargate works equally well.
0: Well, like the spice trade routes and stuff. So, like, the Silk
1: yeah. Road meets Stargate in a fantasy world. Yeah,
0: so, oh, I like that. Silk Road meets
2: Stargate is probably the best comparison of the two. So, <laughs> with,
1: go ahead, Doc.
0: I'm just saying, it sounds like something I will be devouring.
1: So, which science fiction or fantasy? Because sometimes you know people like to mix them up. Like this uh, lady that writes sci-fi in her fantasy novel, and they called it Pern. <clears throat> uh, which which tropes do you feel like the Labyrinth Archivist hits the best? Ooh, mm.
2: that's a tough one. The, this this first book, I'll be honest, probably hits more tropes in mystery than it does in traditional fantasy, because it's built to meet the, here's the dead body. We have the suspects, we do the suspects. Some, you know, somebody else disappears. We have a raising, it it follows the arc of a traditional mystery more than it follows the arc of a a fantasy novel, if that makes any sense. Um, And that was was purposefully done. So
1: were you a fan of Clue growing up?
2: I love Clue. It is (laughs) is one of my favorite movies and a very small part of me goes, I want somebody to redo it so the next generation can really get to see it. But I'm also afraid anybody redoing it is going to screw it up. Um, but it is fantastic and, and beautifully done. And just the more than anything else, the pace in that film is fantastic. If you watch, you can see the frenetic energy. And that's that's something that has to that's that one that you have the script. But two, it's the actors putting that in there. And we feel that same energy, pounding energy in, in
1: it. Well, I was actually talking about the board game, but by Hasbro. But, but the movie works too. The movie was based on the game or inspired by, so it works. Um, there we so, go. And
2: there's a new series out of books. Um, I think they're YA books, actually, from Diana Peterfront that are actually based on Clue as well.
1: Ooh. Nice. So, when you wrote this, did you know who the bad guy was? Like, did you have the mystery solved and then wrote it, or did you figure it out as you went?
2: I had part of it it figured out, and then I ended up changing a few things as we went. But I didn't know who the villain was, because um, mm. I, I wrote the beginning and like probably the first 10,000 words, and then I actually wrote the end, and then I went back to figure out how I got there.
1: That works. So besides the fantasy and the mystery, do you, does this fit into other subgenres or genres?
2: I think those are probably going to be the strongest um, is going to be the, the the fantasy style and i think as as it, we move into other things we're going to see more stuff that comes from like travel and more quest style it's going to probably lean more into traditional fantasy as we go further um uh, because i i i tend to like that i think it fits the world and it fits the characters well um, to do that but i also like the, the socio-political and cultural elements so there'll always be a lot of that to to layer
0: into
1: it. I think as long as you do those without like beating people over the head or preaching at them, that oh, adds God. layer and pers- like depth to a story. But that's a really hard line to do. Cause we all have our own biases, whether it's politics, religion, culture, whatever. And so balancing your own biases and it, it gets even harder if you don't know what yours are, which, which happens.
2: Yeah. I think we're talking about slightly different things. Cause mine is more, um, uh, what was it? Old school traditional fantasies, you got the people, they go on their quest, they have to get these things, you get to the end. But the thing is, in the real world, right? Real world, air quotes there. Um, if, if we were, let's, let's base it on the idea of a medieval fantasy setting, right? Where people are trying to survive, they're doing the world. The fact of anybody traveling to another place was so unusual. Strangers in town is so unusual but the response to them is not necessarily always going to even be uh, positive at all. The idea of different cultures and, and the way people uh, interact with each other. I think that those are some of the layers that have been, that we're missing in some of the old school fantasy we love. It's, it's like the, the issues people have with, with, uh, with the whole, you have one dwarf, you have one elf, you have one human, you know, you have one hobbit. uh,
0: It's not a checklist. That's what I like to tell people. It's
1: not yeah, a trap. I, I, but I the, totally I, meant that too.
2: Yeah, but the idea of that is just that's that's not real because guess what? Those people are not going to get along. For I mean, they might, but let's let's talk about how that the have more of those interactions. Um, uh, when we talk about the social political, I want to I want to have faith in there, right? Um, if you go to any kind of a more um, medieval style setting, more rural, we, we're going to talk no, about. No, religion was huge right the mysteries of the of the of the universe were explained through faith so most faiths religions um, temples whatever had a powerful influence on well i mean faith also helped lives. forge governments like people yes. forget that they forged governments they tore down governments they told people how to how to connect with other people how not to and i think that that's one of those missing political, cultural, social elements that sometimes is missing. So I actually wanna have those in there. The battle between secular government and- I'm
0: going to say something and JR is going gonna yell at me. I think some of that is the American bias of separation of church and state carries on into our literature in some ways. Yeah, JR is going gonna yell at me because he's gonna go, we don't go political, but it's a natural bias that we think of church and, and religion, whether it be church or a circle or a synagogue or a mosque, and government and and being two separate things. And so a lot of our literature tends to reflect that. Yeah. Which, so-
2: which we're missing an element of culture. I'm like, and and it's not necessarily bad or good, it's just the things that push and pull us.
1: Yeah. So. No, I definitely think you can tell when people have not been outside of the continental U.S. because it reflects sometimes in the stories they tell or or don't tell, or the tell.
0: stories they gravitate to even.
1: So it, it was definitely a eye-opening experience having been in the Middle East and the culture there outside of um, what you exposed to on TV or books or whatever. It's I, I definitely think there's something to that. There's definitely an American yeah. bias. But it has to be done. But
2: but when it's put in a book, it has to be done in those small. It's the small specifics that really make it work. And, and you're right. If people are using with a hammer, you can I, they should go, oh, you looked that up somewhere, didn't you? And you put it in your book versus looking for like <laughs> subtle ways that it influences the way people, people, uh, people do things. So, yeah. yeah. Look at the church. On,
0: I still know people who don't eat fish on Fridays. Or maybe they do eat fish on Fridays. (laughs) I'm I'm not a Catholic. I know there's something about Catholics and fish on Friday.
1: All right, so instead of talking about fish, let's talk about her main character.
0: Yes, let's get on to the main character because she is the lady of the hour, both she and day.
1: Or maybe she is day.
2: Mm. Mm. Hmm. I I will admit, I'm like, probably looks a little bit like me because I wanted somebody with brown skin um, who is blind and queer, which I happen to be all of those things. But other than that, I'd like to think I am better looking, smarter. (laughs) Naturally, naturally. (laughs) You know, luckier. There we go.
0: So can you tell us a bit about your main character?
2: Sure. Um, so, um, So the main character is Azulea. And she is actually the 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 daughter of what's a a, a, a matrilineal line of, of women who basically have run the archive. Um, and um, so I have her as a relatively young person. I actually don't think I ever give her a specific age, but I specifically wanted I wanted to set her within that young adult, new adult kind of an age range, where you think this is what you want in life. And you're starting to ask some questions so like that 14 to 20. yeah i'd probably put her on the on the closer to the 20 end than the 14 side but yes
0: yeah otherwise she and her girlfriend are of doing some things that we that just i really, feel much more comfortable with the well yeah because you did say new adult a new adult is definitely more like the the 20 17 through 20. yeah and i
2: think that's that is probably where where we have somebody who's who's Secure in her own personality, but not in her place in the world, if that makes sense. So she's yeah. she's decided she wants to be an archivist because that's what she was supposed to be, because that's what everybody in her family is. And the idea of something else feels like it's it's um, it's less. And of course, anybody who gets caught in that kind of like this is what it's going to be is going to be a little rigid in their thinking to start with and a little defensive and a little bombastic. Um and so part of it is is, is figuring out to, to be a little more flexible as a part of that. And, and I also added just a little bit defensive about her disability as a part of it. So um, so we've all had those moments.
1: Before we move yes, on to the yes, secondary yes, character yes, stock. Yes. Um So when you mentioned that she has romantic entanglement with the captain of the guard or whatever, um, <laughs> what age range would you say, how steamy does it get? What age range would it be for readers? If someone wanted to let their kids read this book, when would you say, okay, they're probably old enough at fill in the blank?
2: I am not. I am not sure. I
1: don't have kids, so it's hard
2: to guess. How about this? The I think the one. I think we have two kisses, and I think the steamiest thing was a mention of loving. To, she absolutely loved seeing. No, seeing her what was it. She adored seeing her lover bathed in nothing more than sweat and moonlight. I think that's the steamiest sentence in there. That's about it. Okay.
1: So teenager, okay. So I just know lots of people like to expose their kids to other cultures through through fiction. So, you know, yeah. I
2: I do have a character that burns to death in front of somebody and that's a little graphic. That's that I'm I'd be more worried about that. (laughs) Fair
1: enough.
0: Well, you know I I tell people all the time you should read what your child's reading until such time as you are no longer worried about what your child is reading. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I'm, because I I, I have um, developmental disorders run in my family, so we do not tell people ages. We tell them till it's like till certain criteria have been met, because sometimes people can meet them at an earlier age, sometimes they don't. And uh, I I know right at the age I started dating was when my mother handed me the last Harold Mage, and that was the first time I ever read a character who was homosexual. And that was my mother's way of explaining homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> it worked very well because I never understood it to be anything other than a form of love.
2: I kind of wish mine had done that. She left her bookshelf and her books available. And I still have some very messed up memories about V.C. Andrews' Flowers in the Attic because I was that way too to read
1: that. That was a um, dark um, and twisted book. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I have to wonder yeah. if she had some issues in her childhood. And she was trying to work out with that one because it was a little mm, out there.
2: I and I thought something came to light when she died that there was some truth to it. I want to say I heard that rumor, but I I wouldn't swear to it.
0: So, can you tell us some about any secondary characters that stood out? Back to forcible segue back to there our, our, uh, archivist. Um, Sure. Uh, I
2: have, um, so, uh, oh goodness. So let me see. We have, we have her, her, her girlfriend, Melody, who's the captain of the guard. Um, you know, who I'll be honest, probably fits the trope and the stereotype of the, of the captain of the guard more than the stereotype of what a girlfriend should be. Um, uh, and who's caught between that idea of like, where does my responsibility lie? Because I'm supposed to represent the city who basically wants to, to have more influence over, the, over the archive. And then I've got my girlfriend who basically anytime I try to take care of her, she gets all prickly with me. Um, sort of a thing. We have um, Handsome Dan, who's um And and he's the kind of person who where he'd be the one who started call who started the myth that he's called Handsome Dan, who is is sort of a I want to say he's a peg-legged pirate, but really he's a tentacle-legged pirate, um, who uh, was sleeping with um, uh, Azalea's grandmother, and uh, yeah, and who had been sleeping with her for decades, it would seem. Um,
0: Oh, very hentai.
2: Just a little bit, but. uh, uh who's a weird kind of a character who clearly has affection um who, who cared deeply for the grandmother has affection for azulea but has some strange ideas about um priorities and about boundaries and about what is is not appropriate um and I, and he actually and the and um melody azulea's girlfriend do not get along because she's law and order and he's a Woo, whatever goes baby girl um sort of a character and um, yeah, which puts her in the middle quite firmly. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other would be Azalea's uh, cousin who wants to be an archivist who, God bless her, is not that bright. Um, and she, uh, was, she never met a stranger she didn't fall in love with. Oh so, my.
1: So, so with your with your guard character, so what kind of equipment is your guard using? Given that it's Middle Eastern, expired, but it's fantasy. Also, is it we're we're talking saber and and chainmail? What what kind of equipment did you give them?
2: Oh, actually, I actually uh, went went for a polearm.
0: Ooh, nice.
2: If if you're if you're the the captain, your job is not really so much to get into fights, but as to look. Uh, look a little more official, so that tended to be what what she did more of, more than anything else. Uh, so, so I actually, yeah, so it's a little more ceremonial um, than that. We didn't
1: have too many fights yet, unless you so, start
2: putting down a zombie plate. so.
1: So when you get to the point where you explore this universe more, like you hinted that you were going to do later, um, are you gonna have them use the uh, Middle Eastern style weapons? Or are you gonna pull back to more traditional fantasy uh, male and armor or armor, a hybrid or a, or a hybrid or what?
2: I am probably going to stick more to, um, uh,
1: to more of the, of the, the
2: early time period for, for Middle Eastern, but I would have, it's going to lean more towards Moorish Spain. Okay. So, okay. so she's from a different place. Like, or how about this? Hmm. So one of the things about the Great Archive is it's hinted that the people came here who built the archive. So it was not part of this world to start with, if that makes any sense.
1: Um, it does. Uh, so I it just
2: was... Was um, and one of the, my fun things is, so maybe when the Library of Alexandria fell, not everybody not everybody went down with the ship, so to speak. And so that the, these are descendants from that. And, and there's hints of that in like, some of the names of the, of the, of the characters, and some of what they 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 call some of the some of the different things in that world.
1: Okay, I was just thinking because I've I've been doing some research on Edo myself for what I'm working on, and some of the the bladed weapons they had were pretty savage. I mean, like I'd almost rather be stabbed with the sword than some of that stuff. <laughs> when, when you look at their equipment, so there's definitely a lot to let you be inspired by. Although, I think there's the danger of of the modern world as we think. Uh, Middle Eastern as a monolith, and there's so many diverse, like separate cultures right. and multiple cultures, and so.
2: 100%. I mean, I think it's part of the reason um, it's like, yeah, I've, I'm poking around with what it would be, but I want to lean towards more of the Spanish style. In Babali, in the Clockwork Djinn, very clearly used the Egyptian tatib, you know, and, and, the, and the, the, the the staff fighting that is is is, is unique to Egypt. You know, going all the way back, you've got images of it on the pyramids and it doesn't look like your usual English style stick fighting because it, it looks looks a little more dance like actually in some of the in some of the ways it's done. And and it's not a way I would have thought a weapon would be balanced. Well, you've got a six foot type staff and you're holding an end of it. Um, uh, but it's when you look at people, perf-
1: you know, perform it,
2: it's amazing. So um, and there are just now some videos being seen. on. It. I think the first time it was shown publicly. In centuries, it was in 2010 at a big
1: um, uh, martial arts convention. So there's a YouTube channel called, I think it's Todd's Garage is what it's called. Um, and he does a lot of like, he'll bring back period weapons and he doesn't just stick with with um, like the standard Proto-Europe style. And he rebuilds like a modern version of them. And he finds out some of the stuff is surprising and how it works or doesn't. You know, so some of the equipment that, that we talk about, like it was this game changer and when you make it the way it said, like even accounting for lots of practice with it, it's not as efficient as we would like to believe. So they probably didn't use it as much as we would think. So like there's something to be said for for like building physical replications to, to learn. And that was one of the things they've learned is some of the balance of weapons you wouldn't expect if you use their style of, of making it versus like modern foundry, it, it, it changes things and the composition of the metals.
2: Oh, I'm going to have to check that out.
1: I love it. It's a that. lot of good stuff. If you like stabby stabby. I mean, look at
2: I, I love so. stabby stabby. I'm like, hello, all, all that fencing. I'm like, yes, it's sport, but it's still I, a lot of time actually put in with uh, with the weapon. So, And I'm actually going to send, send you the link to the little um, tahfib. I can't remember if I sent, gave that to you guys before. Um, but it's it is fun to look at it and, and see what it looks like now. And I think it's something most folks won't be familiar with.
1: So, right, so I will link I didn't think I don't think I got the name of the show of the um, channel right. Um, but I will link um, the channel that we're talking about that has all the the weapons in the show notes and day. I will send that to you offline. Yes. Thank you. So, so I bet you guys
2: didn't realize how educational this would be for those of you listening. You're gonna find yay. out so
0: see we always learned to bring some unique people to to our audience so and uh, i knew that they would not disappoint um so you mentioned earlier that you do have a bad guy can you give us anything without giving us any spoilers
2: nope it could be a guy it could be a girl it could be multiple people yeah i know nope that's fine nope.
0: just say no. Nope, spoiler alert and we won't go there so-
1: what she can say is the bad guy is the murderer, correct? Can, are correct. we saying at least fair? Okay. There. That works. there we go. So,
0: um, speaking of all these characters, if they were to meet you in a back alley, how do you think you'd fare? Would uh, you see that interaction playing out well? Could you beat them in a sword fight? Or would I was gonna you say, know? the captain of the guard would probably kick my ass and like mop the floor with me. Um,
2: but uh, I think I could take everybody else.
0: Do you think they'd want to fight you, or do you think they'd be distracted by the doggy? Mm, hopefully, they'd be distracted by
2: by the lovely, lovely dog. But when you kill off somebody's grandmother, I think they're gonna come after you.
0: Uh, yeah, I didn't even like my grandmother that much, and I'd still be a little miffed with you. See, so okay. So yeah, you killed my grandmother. Prepare to die. Yeah. Yeah, is great, no, no, there's a reason that line echoes throughout history and pop culture so do you have since we've talked about all these characters do you have a favorite archetype for a character not that comes to mind um
2: although i have to admit i'm particularly fond of redemption arcs in my stories
0: okay i think we all like a good redemption arc Really and truthfully, because we all screw up in life, and we'd like to believe that our screw ups are forgivable, yeah, and that we can make it right.
1: All right, so speaking of um screw ups, uh, no, that's a horrible segue. <laughs> that. <I> <laughs> I thought I had something and I'm like, oh, that's going to sound like I'm insulting her. I didn't want to do that. So let's talk. <laughs> Way to go, JR. Well, I messed that one up. So uh, this is what happens when you record live and then air it later, because there is no editing in what we do, if you've noticed, people.
2: Right. So um, sadly,
0: they can't make me sound smarter. Ah. No, no, you sound plenty smart. It's just the dickering J.R. and I do.
1: <laughs> so what can you tell us about the universe, which isn't a screw up? Uh, in many series, the world where the story is told is as much a protagonist, as, as much a character as a protagonist or antagonist. So other than what you've already said, can you tell us more about the world where it takes place? Because it sounds like you're going to go back there.
2: I, I definitely want to go back there. Uh, and actually, this is, um, the book is part of a series of Sherald World books, um, which is based on the idea that the labyrinth is part of the decaying body of a, of a goddess, um, and it connects a variety of worlds, and I think that was just the key bit that was given to to several authors. And the idea is, okay, make your make your world from that. Um, and so there there are several of us who've, who've written stories, and they're all very different because we all we've all picked different word worlds that are connected uh, via the labyrinth. So um, so that is the that base premise. Um, so the one I created here for this one, like I said, is very much that, that more, more, based on more of what would have been the Egyptian or um, Greek style. And I wanted to give a feel for that kind of a world. It's, it's one of these, while I'm not a fan completely of, of uh, some of the storytelling in Dune, I actually do like the world building in Dune. I can um, see that. Uh, and so so part of it was to try and, and, and pull some of those kinds of sensibilities to build the shape of that world. Um, and then as we travel to others, I want us to fe- get the feel of what a caravan is like, right? What is what is that kind of a journey uh, feel like? Because it's, it's different when you're with, uh, you know, I love that, like I said, I love those quest style books, but it's different when you're on a quest versus when you're with a caravan with a bunch of like people moaning about how tired their feet are or, or who ate, you know, who ate the last, you know, lovely sweet cake um, and things like that. So I want a part of that as, as part of the next journey. Uh, and like I said, when you get to this other world, what are all the things that go right and go wrong when you're trying to negotiate and, and talk to people? Um, and, and probably have more things go wrong rather than right uh, as a part of that. So, so it'll probably have a little more um, of that kind of uh, cultural crossover. Um, and I will probably, just because it's me, increase the body count a little bit.
1: So the the name of the channel is Todd's Workshop T O D apostrophe S Workshop. I will link it in the show notes to your listener. He says lots of good content where he he looks at uh, um, bladed weapons and, and historic weapons and sometimes from fantasy and see what works, what doesn't. It's it's definitely interesting. Um, and when he does the fantasy weapons, he will because he's done some from like um, Lord of the Rings. He will contemplate like how that would have affected the military because you can't just create a weapon and not have be no consequence so weapons smith like weapons and armor it's a yin yang race so as you develop a they develop b which is um one of the flaws in that old uh history channel where they would do if pirates and i don't know samurai met who would win well they didn't prepare for each other so they you know they count their they they prepare to counter what they're going to fight, and so it's it's one of those things that a lot of people forget when they talk about weapons, is that if I build A, you're going to counter it with B, which means I have to do C, and it's a, it's a progression, and you've got to factor that in. And so when he's done, some fantasy weapons, he's done that, which I, I find it, it fun to just think well, about.
0: That's why the foil for rapier fighting
1: developed. To actually. punch through arm to punch through chainmail.
0: No, not to punch through chainmail because a sword won't punch through chain mail very easily to get in those grooves and those those creases between the armor. Okay. It's a stabbing weapon, it's not a uh, it's not a woof 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 throwing your arm around. It's a let me poke you with a stick.
1: And that was one of the things yeah. when you okay. actually start like handling things yourself. Like i much more bloodthirsty than that. I worked in the yeah, archives it, at valley forge and i've handled some of the uh historic weapons that are there is you, you get this idea that everything is so heavy and like then you actually hold it and i'm like That's, the sword's not that heavy i mean if i had to wield it for hours i'm sure my arm would get tired but like if you're building something to be used every day then, then you're going to make it functional it's they easy. are heavier
0: than a keyboard
2: yeah and, and we all start seeing swords when you're talking about that time period, uh, right. It's, it, it we also saw the armor decreasing in usage anyway, because we, the dueling weapons rose in, in, in more usage, uh, with, with the use of guns, right? Because guns can punch through armor. So guess what? We don't need big weop- those big swords anymore. So the sword becomes relegated to a personal weapon. Um, and that's, so the foil is based on the the small sword, if that makes sense. So yes. that's, that's, we got to be stupid about
1: doing it to each about, um, dueling each other. So swords are also expensive to make and take a lot of metal when metal was precious, which is why pole arms were more common. You're more likely to see someone with a pike than you are to see them with a sword, unless they're super rich. And then it's more a status symbol than anything.
2: There you go. And that circles right back to why does my captain of the guard carry a pole arm?
1: Right. In fact, that was one of the the English and the French, one of the common things where they funded themselves was they would capture other knights. And not only did they um, sell the essentially auction, or not auction, what is that? Uh, negotiate the return of people uh, for bunny. There's a word for that that my mind is blanking on. Negotiate? Um, no, there's. Um, well, anyway, you can make fun of me in the Ransom. show notes. The Ransom back. Ransom. There we go. They also ransomed the equipment. Or if they liked it, they just kept it. Like, yeah, that's my new sword or my new whatever. But um, so we, speaking of that universe and, and how that all factors in, we know that every literary universe, or at least a good one, have their own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. So what can we expect from this universe? Mm.
2: So the world we were in, um, that the, the book starts in, uh, and and it, I hint at the idea of high technology and low technology worlds and worlds where there is more and less magic. And so the one we're in does not have a significant amount of magic. What we have seen has come through um, um, through the, the labyrinth. I love it. I was about to say through the rift. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, at least I didn't say through the stargate. <laughs> ah,
0: I was just thinking that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so it's being stored there as part of the archive. Um, But I do know that I want to, as part of that, that travel to other places to actually include places where we have high and low technology. Um, And and part of that is based on culture and part of that is based on what develops. And I I think the the, the analogy you gave about that pirates versus ninjas, it's like, no, it's technology rises, just like weapons rise and change based on who you come up against and how it operates. And and so yeah, some places if, if magic is going to be more prevalent, we're going to see that that is going to be what is used more often, um, and then versus and then other places where I, I can lean more heavily into the technology. And so part of it is is figuring out how do the worlds connect to them. so um, so you're right, each of them is going to have their own kind of flavor of world that we go through, and that's part of the reason why that first book is set so firmly in one world because I'm like I want to base to to settle the characters. So everybody knows who we're playing with, and then when we go to different places, we get to to we get to enjoy the world because we already know who we're traveling with, um, which is also why I, I was all caught up in the Nancy Drew connection because I'm like, Nancy goes to all these places and solves these mysteries, but Nancy is always the same.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Um, so that's kind of where that is, um, you know. And there's good and bad in that, but it's also I'm like, it
0: it, it it's um it, it's well, you really
2: have to know who I, you
0: are when everything else around you is changing too.
1: Right. That's true. So you've got Labyrinth in the title. Is there any inspiration from the Greek myth as well? Or is there some parallel to to Middle Eastern myths? David right?
2: Bowie's movie. Well Ooh, that's it. So yeah, I would yeah, love I think I'm it's tied to Labyrinth because that is the, the base premise for the for all the books and for the shared world that the authors are all working in. So yeah. So I wish I had something more deep and meaningful, but that's that's where that title came from. Um, although I do adore Bowie in that movie and Super Hot, um, yes. Uh, and I, while we haven't hit on the the, um, the 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 Greek myth directly yet, we do have we will have some more and a little connections to the Minotaur coming up.
1: So I do know that. Cool. And yarn will a lot of yarn be involved?
2: Probably
0: not. <laughs> Are you making fun of my knitting, JR? No, the labyrinth. What? Invo- yeah,
1: sorry, go the ahead. It's a labyrinth reference to the myth. Uh-huh. The Greek- That's uh-huh. how he doesn't get lost. He leaves a string of yarn, sort of like Hansel and Gretel left breadcrumbs. It's,
0: it's in an episode of The Librarians, even. It, it is. I'm just having fun picking on JR. <laughs> you didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> so, of everything you've invented in your universe what would you use like is there anything you'd want to use daily
1: if you say you want to pike so you can stab people the fbi might be listening just saying
0: they're not listening they have better things
2: to do yeah but if i want a pike i wouldn't stab people i will i will just put up as decoration
0: that's all it Decoration is aren't really a stabbing weapon so much as a chopping
1: tool for vegetables pikes for vegetables. for vegetables are you thinking the same weapon we're thinking about long stick spear at the end sharp pointy yeah. and cutty you know what i may have been thinking of a halibird. sorry even that's not it's
2: really vegetables with a halberd
1: yeah now i'm wondering the same thing i guess if you cut the handle off and you just had the blade Maybe? Yeah, but then it's just a cleaver. Yeah. yeah or little or little what if you, if to you know? want to cut cut vegetables in your neighbor's house without leaving yours? <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, hey, it's a great way to maintain that six-foot distance. This is how you
1: chop vegetables during a
2: pandemic.
1: There Thank you me! go. <laughs> why they pay you why they pay you the big bucks, day? <laughs>
0: We're going to hashtag this. This is how to vegetables in a pandemic. <laughs> people are gonna go why why are they teaching us how to chop vegetables during a pandemic what the hell is this episode about now we're talking books yeah and so now
2: we're going to swap over and go well foils would not be effective for chopping vegetables but they would make great skewers for cooking the vegetables during a pandemic so exactly so we start cutting going through the different ve- weapons and going <laughs> hmm, how would this work
1: sure as a question sure. in Todd's workshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we should bro if you're listening we should all be sending this question dear letter listener click on the link he's got his contact send him a question and we'll see if we can get an episode out of it
2: yep <laughs> chopping up halberds alternative uses yeah chopping up vegetables with a halberd there we go <laughs> I bet
1: we could I, I bet you could bribe uh, bribe Walt to even do it because he likes stabby things too we could bribe Walt now I want to see this done. I want to see this done. I'm going to have to see what I can do. See what you started, Saskia. Walt and his murder dogs. He does all right, but back to back to day because we don't want murder dogs. What? Now i got to add murder dogs to the footnotes. All right. I just so like Asper making. And- I don't think so hashtags works have- the what you think it does, but I add them anyway. <laughs>
0: Just do as you're told, Dare. All right. <laughs> Day's going, what did I get myself into?
2: I, no, um, no, I was all good with the idea of like getting, getting I want to see video of this whole hal- halberd and vegetables thing. So I'm like, I am all in. Who do we need to bribe to make this happen? And I expect us to have the video to like linked to this one so people can watch <laughs> it themselves. So. I'm going to have to reach out to Walt. Uh. I do have somewhere part of a video with me trying to open a coconut with a sword because my wife got one. And I I was like, and I have one of those like cheap little steel, you know, the ones that people buy when you're young and foolish to put on your wall. And I still have one. And I'm like, I want to I want to cut open this coconut. Can I can I do it? And what proceeds is a video of several seconds of me chasing this coconut around the floor in our kitchen. Because guess what? It's not swords are not a great way to open
0: a coconut.
1: They're also ceremonial swords and decorative swords are never intended to be used. We had, uh, when I did I'm the J-Rotsey sure
0: We're going to blame Disney for this day.
1: That works. But uh they tried <laughs> to Fire stab Robinson. a with the ceremonial. Wait, you stabbed you a what? They, they, he stabbed a Coca-Cola like can with a ceremonial sword that they used, the Navy sword. And yeah. it shattered the blade. Oh my God. The Coke can won. Oh and of God. course, he had to go home and explain to his mother why he's buying a two hundred dollars sword, oh. and it's like nineteen nineties two hundred, <laughs> not modern day two hundred. So it's probably even more. Oh no! All right, oh. ask her about fantastical creatures, Doc.
0: I know, I will. So, do you have any fantastical creatures in your book?
2: No fantastical creatures. More people from from different worlds. Who probably did not, who probably deviated from a, a species many many years ago. So, um, we
1: I know we have. Well, how would you classify? How would you classify Mr. Tentacle Legs, if not mm-hmm. fantastical creature? Uh actually, I would probably to actually
2: put him as more humanoid with a symbiote. Ooh. Ooh. So. Okay. Nicely yeah. done. Because uh, Maria said there's that mix of technology and magic, so he actually, that, that leg replacement, that tentacle is a symbiote. Ah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so that was yeah, a little bit different there. We, I know we have uh, some folks that, that more seem to resemble, more, you know, related to dragons, others who seem more like uh, sort of a swamp lizard people, and other ones who are feathered,
0: um, kind of like ducks so did you let nature inspire you with those or folklore or just so what?
2: Most, if? yeah a lot of these actually are related to to actual animals yeah. and and so you you start guessing you start look at some of the latin bases of the names that i used for um for these different different groups of folks so uh this one is definitely a little more uh based i, I love it the, this book is definitely more based on on some more nature elements and a little more of history whereas baba lee is definitely more, leans heavily into folklore so okay yeah we'll see a, how cool to do it. Awesome. yeah uh like i said i'm like it's it's got a zombie fungus that like turn you know so it, it's right there in science
1: all right, so clearly this episode is winding down. We've been at it for half an hour, an hour and a half, I should say, and having way too much fun. Um, so see, time flies when you're having fun. But before we wrap this up, was there anything about the Labyrinth's Archivist that we didn't ask you, you wanna tell us before we move on?
2: Oh, it's late enough that I'm going, I can't think of anything. I, it's a, it's a fun, short romp. It's supposed to be just a fun, light, quick read. Um, and I think that's, that's the goal and the point of it. And hopefully we'll, you know, we'll be able to have more of those moving ahead into the future with that same kind of
1: just uh, fun read. All right. And how can listeners or viewers find you? Obviously we're going to have all of this in the show notes, but, but if you had to say just one place that is day Al Muhammad, where would they go? Oh,
2: that would actually probably be day dot which is the easiest place to find me. Like um, you're
1: making it easier for them.
2: Uh, exactly so you can uh do it you can come to my website you can find me there Uh, i tend to play occasionally on on twitter and and post fun snippets of different things it is a mix of uh was it some politics some coast guard stuff um some personal stuff whatever i'm traveling some book stuff um and um and some disability policy. So it's, it's always going to be a mix of, of uh, weird and fun things. Also, I adore any kind of weird right. and funny games that involve cats.
1: <laughs> All right. So since we mentioned politics, I've got to ask you this one question. I can't let you escape. How do you feel about pineapples on pizza?
2: Actually, I really like pineapples on pizza.
1: Yes! Seska ruined you. She put you up to this, didn't she?
2: Nope. I, I, I think it's lovely and tasty I also kind of like pizza that doesn't have tomato sauce and on
0: it either. That weird white pizza with a little bit of spinach is amazing. Ah, I love white pizza. Mellow mushrooms. White pizza is amazing. Ooh, that does sound good.
2: So, uh, but I will also say in general, I tend to take any other food other than pizza. I spent my undergrad year in, in, in college, I ate pizza like four to five days a week because it was free, right? For all the, anything you went to, that's what they fed people. And so by the time I ended that, I just did, didn't care if I ever ate another pizza again. So I still tend to, if someone goes, are we going to eat somewhere? Do you want pizza? No, not really.
1: So. Yeah, When I was in college, Domino's did that uh, $5 for two mediums or whatever it was. So I was like, you get three meals out of that, if you, if you ate it leftover, I totally understand. Yeah. So I'm like, no. Nope. Um, we had the Chinese food delivery when we were treating ourselves. Um, So you can find us, dear listener On our website at anchor.fm Backslash blasters tacky and tack blades anchor.fm backslash blasters tacky and tack blades. We're on Twitter at sf underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. It's almost like that sf means sci fi. Uh, you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise we actually answer that one because it's real. Uh, you can find us on our Facebook group, blasters and blades, uh, <laughs> Facebook.com backslash <laughs> blasters and blades podcast. Uh, you can support the show. Over at buymeacoffee.com Backslash author Jr. Hanley Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast And I promise I will keep your Co-hosts uh, Nick Garber and Doc Seska duly intoxicated They will drink until their liver surrenders uh, and Never surrender,
0: never quit <laughs>
1: <laughs> Galaxy Quest for the win. And uh you could also support us on a monthly recurring basis over at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades for uh ninety-nine cents, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine. And all of it would be greatly appreciated. Take us home, Doc.
0: Thank you for spending your precious time with us. For the absentee overworked Nick Garber, J- the absent-minded J.R. Handley. I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week. At the same time, we'll indulge our love of torturing JR, eating pineapple on pizza, literature, nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and of course, everything that goes boom.